Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's a new week, so let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we'll see. Oh, yeah, well, for you, the day just started. Ooh, the birds are chirping. That's always good. Yeah, it would suck if it was quiet, huh? What about them birds? That just indicates that the world is still moving. All right, well, we've made it. We're doing it. Okay. Let me get my stories back up here. All right, y'all. Let's do this again. Sorry for the crappy start. We'll get there. Oh, I think. <laughs> I'm not going to read these things now. Oh, I just saw a story. And, oh, hey. All right. Why is that? Why is that politics? Everything's political these days. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I guess the headline doesn't make it sound political, but all right, I guess we're ready. Look at that shit. What the hell's all laundry doing there? All right. <laughs> all right. Looks good. You want me to do? My head's getting chopped off. Yeah. Oh boy. No, you're, if you just stay there, you're fine, yeah. When you stay here, I'm good, right? Yeah. You're all right? That the yell? You're fine. Very good. Oh, let's get let's get started then. Alright. Today on Before Coffee. Italy, three dead and one missing after tourist boat capsized in a storm. Uh, debt ceiling deal reached in negotiations with Joe Biden and the Republicans. Spain's conservative opposition heading for emphatic win in regional polls. Erdogan wins runoff in Turkey. Opinion piece by Daniel Trilling. One U.S. policy the Tories are happy to emulate, cracking down on refugees. And after 73 years, a veteran's remains are returned. Today on Memorial Day in the United States, May 29th, 2023, edition of Before Coffee. No idea what day it is. All right, let's read it into our first tragic story of the day. 19 people reach safety after disaster, but drivers and helicopter continue to search Lake Ma Maggiore for one person still missing. Italian firefighters say they have recovered three bodies from a northern Italian lake after a tourist boat capsized in a sudden violent storm. Drivers backed by a helicopter, con helicopter continue to search Lake Maggiore in the Lombardy region. Lombardy region. On Monday for one person still missing after a whirlwind overturned the boat carrying more than 20 tourists and crew late on Sunday. Firefighters said that 19 people were saved. Many reportedly managed to swim to shore or were picked by, up by other boats after the vessel overturned off Lisanza, the southern end of the lake. The Lombardi region president, Attilio Fontana, said very serious incident had been caused by a whirlwind. The boat was 16 meters, 52 feet long, and had been hired by tourists, he said on Facebook. Interesting that he's talking on Facebook. I talk to all my constituents over Facebook so that I can only reach the people who are 55 and up. 
that's just a joke right. on Facebook, how old Facebook is. The vessel has been carrying 25 people, including 23 tourists and two crew. Italy's various news said. The firefighter's video published by the Corriere della Sera says the helicopter flying over choppy waters where chairs and other debris could be seen floating. The whirlwind was part of a storm system that hit the Lombardy region Sunday evening, forcing delays at the Malpensa airport. Lake Maggiore, which lies on the south side of the Alps, is the second largest lake in Italy and a popular tourist destination. So, unfortunately, some people got caught up in a swell. Mm. Three people, three people died, and one is still missing. So, hopefully, they find that one missing person. Just an update on how, even if you're inland, lakes can still be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Keep a, keep your eyes on a keep. Always wear a, a safety jacket, even if you're on a lake, because you never know what could happen. in the water i always i always find that interesting no just i'm I, no people everyone in the netherlands do wear a life jacket and the water but they should everyone should because water's dangerous it doesn't care yeah, about your feelings and boating in the united states man people are like you're gonna die if you don't do every precaution wear a helmet when you buy ride a bike but some places they just don't care they're like fuck it we're lying we don't care u.s reaches debt ceiling agreement in american news political news after weakening of negotiation president joe biden and house speaker kevin mccarthy have announced the agreement principle to raise the nation's debt ceiling to avoid a potential cat catastrophic default the agreement includes spending cuts demanded by Republicans, but is short in reductions in the sweeping legislation passed by the Republican-led House last month. To reduce spending, Republicans had insisted, as the Republicans insisted, the package includes a two-year budget deal that would include, include, it would include, include spending limits keeping spending limits for 24-24 flat and 2025. That's in exchange for raising the debt limit for two years until the next election. It also expands some work requirements for food stamp recipients, which is like uh, people who work still need food stamps, even if you're making 12, 13 bucks an hour. You still need food stamps, folks. That's the way it works in this country. There's just not enough uh, to keep you going because of rent and so forth is so high. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said the United States could default on its debt obligations by June 5th. Lawbaggers do not act in time to raise the debt ceiling. What's left to do is the, the, the uh, House has to vote on the deal and, of course, the Senate, and then the President will have to sign it. President told reporters in the White House Sunday if I'm going to call McCarthy at 3 o'clock to make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, I think we're all in good shape. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries on, of New York said in a letter, Democratic colleagues 
and administrative officials would be brief House Democrats on the agreement at 5 p.m. One of the administrative chief negotiator, negotiator president, Joe Counselor Steve Reschetti, was also making individual calls to Democratic lawmakers to, lawmakers to build support, according to the House Democratic aide. Biden said in a statement after the deal was announced that he strongly urged both chambers to pass the agreement right away. Now, the debt spending is debts we already have, obligations we already have. It's like your monthly bills. You say, well, we've got so much for our debts this month, but we're only going to pay so many of them, and we're going to put the rest of them off. No, the United States has to pay all of its obligations. And those obligations are, are, are mostly called government bonds. Government bonds are guaranteed returns, right? And if you guarantee returns and you don't pay your returns, then the entire world says your bonds are going to be useless. Therefore, you are going to pay more of a premium to anyone buying your bonds and your word becomes worth less, your bonds become worth less, your government has bad credit, and the economy can theoretically collapse. No reason to do this whatsoever. The debt ceiling is an artificially created thing 100 years ago, less than 100 years ago, that they use as a tool to force people in negotiations. And that's all it is. The government, the, the president could just sign it. and It's in the 14th Amendment, if you yeah. read it. So the, the, the president could just sign it and say, hey, whatever, I don't need Congress for this. Anyway, but he's never tested that. Your story. Yeah, it's really interesting because I was seeing news on it and how supposedly they were adding random things in the bill. You know, I, I really despise that. I don't know if every country has that, but I know famously American politicians do this where they put things that have nothing to do with the bill inside a bill to try to pass a law what? in as like a secret. What? Like, what? Why is that even allowed, you know? Let's pass a bill where all cows must be white in this bill about boats. It's like, why is this in here? What does this have to do with anything? Very weird behavior from politicians. No, it's been a clean bill until now. Now yeah. it's become ad things still go. But again, Biden is giving something out. He's given with his hand. He's taken with another one. I guarantee it. He's already won this negotiation because McCarthy, McCarthy has no strength. He has a, like a four-vote margin. One of those guys is George Santos. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're... <laughs> All right. Into my next story. Spain's conservative opposition heading for an empathetic win in regional polls. People's party strengthens hold on Madrid and could take regions of Valencia and Aragon, according to polls. Spain's opposition conservative party, People's Party, the PP, is heading for an emphatic win in Sunday's key regional and municipal elections, winning an absolute majority in the city of Madrid and in the surrounding area. It is poised to wrest the region of Valencia, Aragon, and Balearic Islands from the ruling Spanish Socialist Workers' Party, PSOE. The PP's triumph, which comes after a bitter and fractious campaign marred by a row over the defunct Basque terrorist organization, ETA, and allegations of electoral fraud, will serve a huge boost to the party ahead of December's general election. The result of the polls in 12 regions and more than 8,000 municipal councils also indicate a return to the traditional two-party system that dominated Spanish politics before the eruption of the far left. 
anti-austerity Podemos, and now moribund center-right Citizens Party. By 11.30 local time, with more than 98% of the municipal votes counted, the PP has attracted 31%, 31 31.5% of the vote, and won 23,248 council seats, while the PSOE has taken 28.1% of the vote and won 20,676 seats. The incumbent PP mayor of Madrid, Jose Luis Martinez Almiria, secured an absolute majority in the capital, whilst his party also won most seats on the city council of Seville, Segovia, Valencia, and Palma, with 60% of the votes counted in Madrid region. The PP has won 69 seats in the 136-seat regional parliament, giving it right-wing populist regional president Isabel Diaz Ayuso an absolute majority. The party was also ahead in the regions of Aragon, Valencia, the Belarix, and La Rioja. Rioa, sorry. In Barcelona, the city's left-wing mayor, Adu Colau, was relegated to third place after Xavier Trias, a former mayor who belongs to the center-right Catalan pro-independency party, Junts, finished first in Yaum Polboni of Catalan branch of PSOE came second. Well, it's because I keep on thinking, I have to keep on reminding myself it's Spanish. I'm speaking Spanish right now. Susa Gamara, a spokesperson for the PP, said the results were in irrefutable proof of Spain's desire for change. And also for being, I guess, terrible people. Uh, because they're going, they're choosing like far right people. You know, not normal right, not... They say conservative, but they what they mean is far right, like... You know, fa fascism. This isn't what we'd have been hoping for, uh, the, oh, the PSO spokesperson, Pillar Alegria, struck a pendant note saying that the party had received the electorate's mentions, adding, This isn't what we were hoping for after these weeks of campaigning, and obviously, we will have to reflect on what happened over the coming months. But she also warned that the PP would only be able to take power in some of its newly won regions if it struck deals with the far-right Vox party. See, that's what I'm saying, right? The, the, the normal conservative party has to team up with the already powerful far-right party to even become a majority in a lot of regions. Although the PP already governs the Castilla and Leon region with Vox, entering into any new regional pacts would allow the left to paint the PP as a party that is prepared to abandon the center ground and make deals with the far right for the sake of winning power. Aha, see, I, I just have a knack for these uh, political things. So, uh, the, the article goes on more about, you know, what could this mean in the future? Uh, what the, the convictions of the party might be? and stuff like that. But mostly what we're seeing here is that Spain is in very real risk of becoming a harboring ground for right, uh, far-right uh, ideas like fascist polities and stuff like that, especially if the, you know, more center-right parties want any sort of leeway against the left. Which, like I said, many times before in my life, I, I despise the left-right, you know, partisan political political system. Really don't like it. Us versus them. You don't make any laws. You just fight the whole time about who's allowed to have power. 
And instead of taking care of your country, you just take care of your fellow compatriots in your party. Don't care about the people you're actually supposed to be serving. Uh, on to your story. Turkeys are the in other far-right guys in elections. <laughs> Turkey's Erdogan retains power and now faces challenges over economy and earthquake recovery. This is from the AP, another AP story, which are living in AP today. And more word Olympics from me. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has made a mandate to rule until, has a mandate to rule until 2028, securing five more years as leader of a country at the crossroads of Europe and Asia that plays a role, key role in NATO. He must now confront skyrocketing inflation that has fueled the cost. I thought Joe Biden was causing inflation. Damn it. <laughs> Even lower in the United States and everybody everywhere else. Just want to keep reminding people of that. He must now confront skyrocketing inflation that has fueled in the United States, we call 5% skyrocketing. Every place else, 50% is skyrocketing. 18, yeah, stuff like that. 18 or 20. <laughs> and the rebuild aftermath of a devastating earthquake that killed more than 50,000 people. Erdogan secured more than 52%, which is not a huge majority, considering he uh, his opponent had 42 in the first one, and now had 48. Erdogan secured more than 52% of the vote, in Sunday's presidential runoff, two weeks after he fell short of scoring an outright victory in the first round, his opponent, Kamal Kilkarduglu, had sought to re reverse Erdogan's increasingly authoritarian leanings, promising to return to democratic norms, adopt more conventional economic policies, and improve ties with the West. But in the end, voters chose the man they see as a strong, proven leader. There's editorializing there. <laughs> Erdogan thanked the nation for entrusting him with the presidency again in two speeches he delivered in Istanbul and Ankara. The only winner today is Turkey, Erdogan said outside the presidential palace in Ankara, promised to work hard for Turkey's second century, which he called the Turkish century. The country marks its centennial year this year. I didn't know Turkey was only a year old, 100 years old. Kilkar Duglu said the election was the most unjust ever with all state resources mobilized for Erdogan. He will continue to be at the forefront of this struggle until real democracy comes to our country. Supporters of Erdogan, a divisive populace and massive orator, to the streets to celebrate, waving Turkish or ruling party flags, honking car horns, and chanting his name. We have all been brainwashed. We have all been brainwashed. So the celebratory gunfire was heard in several Istanbul uh, uh, neighborhoods, emphasizing their fealty to their supreme leader, who will now tell them how to feel and how to think as people just, please, 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 extremely charming leader tell us how to think and feel as democracy slowly slowly dies your story <laughs> wow your 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 stories are really on a positive note today huh uh hell yeah man speaking when of I which can i call it out yeah speaking of which let's look at an opinion piece by daniel trilling who is the author of Lights in the Distance, Exile and Refuge at the Borders of Europe. So he's uh, done some research into this topic on refugees, cracking down on refugees. 
If you want to see what Rishi Sunak's Tories hope to achieve with their stop the boats policy and the brutal reality that underlines it, look to Greece. The country's right-wing prime minister, Kyriakos Mitotakis, is currently riding high, having surprised pundits with the scale of his victory over the left in Sunday's general election. Mitsotakis has convinced many voters that he is returning Greece to stability after the turbulence of the 2010s, and part of a pitch in his claim is to have all but ended refugee boats crossings from Turkey. An investigation by the New York Times, published last week, points to what that order can mean in practice. Video footage shot by an aid worker and verified by the New York Times shows a group of refugees from Somalia, Eritrea, and Ethiopia being taken from Lesbos and abandoned at sea by the Greek authorities. First, the 12 men, women, and children are taken from an unmarked van and forced onto a waiting speedboat. From there, they are tra- transferred onto a Greek Coast Guard vessel and taken out into the agency, where they are pushed onto the inflatable emergency life raft and easily capsized in an unsteerable vessel and left to drip. drift. The group were later rescued and taken to Turkey. The video appears to show a particularly extreme version of what is known as a pushback, the forcible turning away of migrants at a country's border. If so, it is likely breaks Greek, EU, and international law. Aside from the immediate danger that might put people in, pushbacks violate a fundamental principle of refugee protection, which is that people seeking asylum have the right to be to a fair hearing. When confronted with the evidence on CNN this week, Mitsotakis called the incident completely unacceptable and claimed an investigation had already begun. But it is part of a wider pattern. There have been numerous reports of Greeks abandoning refugees at the sea, although the evidence has rarely been so stark. I don't get why people do this. Like, we live in the age of internet, free for- like free information, video phones, and... Oh, nobody will ever see this happen. Like, complete detachment from morals and ethics. Just, yeah, th- what I'm doing is correct. Because mm-hmm. I don't like these people. So, hence, they should be dr- sent off into the sea. In recent years, countries on the EU's southern and eastern borders have been taking increasingly harsh measures to deter refugees. Bulgaria and Poland are among other countries accused of violently pushing back people at their borders. Migrants who stay in Europe are more likely to find themselves in detention-like conditions. There are already reports of problems at the new Greek camps, while those who step in to help find themselves harassed by border guards and threatened with prosecution. In Italy, 21 sea rescuers, including a crew... Crew members of the rescue ship Iuventa are currently charged with facilitating illegal immigration and face years in prison if found guilty because they are saving people from drowning in the ocean. Yeah, God go, forbid. Go, go, go let the people drown because, oh, they're illegal people. Shouldn't let them have air. <clears throat> Allegations of mistreatment are often met with official denial. In 2021, when Dutch journalists accused Mitotakis of lying about alleged pushbacks, he responded by accusing her of insulting the Greek people. Ah, great. Just deflect, deflect, deflect. And little sanction from EU. Indeed, it was alleged last year that the EU's border agency Frontex had taken part in pushbacks in the agency and then covered it up. The agency denied this, of course. The lack of complaints should come as little surprise. Europe has come to see... A shared interest in limiting the movement of refugees across its borders, even if that places people in danger and erodes the universal right to asylum. In 2020, in response to a border crisis deliberately stoked by Turkey, the president of the European Commission, 
Ursula von der Leyen described Greece as Europe's shield. While the EU has until now largely turned a blind eye to the reports of wrongdoings on its frontiers, as a bloc, it has also found ways to force refugees back to danger while staying just within its bound of its own human rights laws. In the central Mediterranean, the EU has overseen the return of more than 100,000 migrants to Libya since 2017, where they risk being severely abused by withdrawing search and rescue and sending coordinates of boats in distress to Libyan Coast Guard, a system of pushbacks all in all but name. This is one area in which post-Brexit Britain is happy to emulate its European neighbors. The UK's government's crackdown on small boat crossing is partly inspired by Greece's model. The former Home Secretary, Priti Patel, who toured Greece's now-closed centers, it says closed, quote-unquote, as in they're not actually closed, centers for migrants in summer 2021 wanted border force officers to carry out turnback operations in the channel and gave them immunity from prosecution for any deaths at sea. The illegal migration bill currently making its way to parliament envisions a network of camps on former military sites much like the ones the Greek government is building. In Greece, Medicines Sans Frontiers says that in the past year, 940 refugees it was in contact with have gone missing from Lesbos alone. The EU must hold the people responsible accountable. In the UK, the Refugee Council estimates that as many as 190,000 people can end up detained or forced into destitution by illegal migration bills, which does more to undermine asylum than any other law to date. If you are unhappy with what's going on, now is the time to make a noise about it. So, there we go. There is an opinion piece by Daniel Trilling, which I greatly agree with. Honestly, and uh, and not surprised that no matter where you live, every government is corrupt in some way. <laughs> so you know the EU will talk about how you know ah oh, we have human rights protections and blah blah blah, and then say hey you can totally toss people into the ocean with no life jacket and just although they died and see that's so tragic how could have this happened? By saving them. <laughs> All right, so in the United States, we have this thing today called Memorial Day, which is uh, not necessarily, people confuse it with Veterans Day, which is, I guess, understandable. But Memorial Day is about people that actually died in war, that went to a war, they didn't start a fight, they didn't pick with anybody, and they they died or they got horribly wounded and they came home and suffered for the rest of their lives and, and now they're gone by the freaking government yeah. screwed them over and their children are like what happened to dad he hates everybody so this is to remember those people who lost everything in the war sometimes they just lost their minds soldiers this is uh He's home, missing 73, missing 73 years. Medal of Honor recipients remains returned to Georgia. So, soldiers are the ninth. The state of Georgia. Yeah, the state of Georgia, United States. Savannah, particularly. This is from the AP. Soldiers from the 9th Infantry Regiment made a desperate retreat as North Korean treat troops closed in around them. A wounded 18-year-old Army Private Luther Herschel feared his injuries would slow down his company, so he stayed behind to cover their withdrawal. 
Story's action in the Korean War of September 1st, 1950 would ensure he was remembered. He was rewarded the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest military honor, which is now displayed alongside his portrait at the National Infantry Museum, an hour's drive from his hometown in Americus, Georgia. But Story was never seen alive again, and his resting place long remained a mystery. In my family, we always believe that he would never be found, said Jude Wade, Story's niece and closest surviving relative. That changed April when the U.S. military viewed lab tests and matched DNA from Wade and her late mother to the bones of identified American soldier recovered from Korea in October 1950. The remains belong to Story, a case agent told a case agent told Wade over the phone. After nearly 73 years, he was coming home. A Memorial Day burial, which military honors were scheduled with military honors, was scheduled Monday at the Andersonville National Cemetery. A police escort with flashing lights and escorted Story's casket through the streets of nearby Americus on Wednesday after it arrived in Georgia. I don't have to worry about him anymore, said Wade, who was born four years after her uncle went missing overseas. I'm just glad he's home. Among those celebrating Story's return was former President Jimmy Carter. When Story was a young boy, according to Wade, his family lived and worked in planes on land owned by Carter's father, James Earl Carter Sr. Jimmy Carter, 98, has been under hospice care in his home planes and planes since February. Jill Stuckey, super, superintendent of Jimmy Carter National Historic Park, said she shared the news about Story with Carter as soon as she heard it. Oh, there was a big smile on his face. He was excited to know that a hero was coming home, Stucky said. Story grew up about 150 miles south of Atlanta in Sumter County, where his father was a sharecropper. As a young boy, Story had a keen sense of humor and liked baseball, joined his parents and older siblings in the fields to help harvest cotton. The work was hard and didn't pay much. Mama talked about eating sweet potatoes three times a day, said Wade, whose mother, Gwendolyn Story Chambliss, was Luther Story's older sister. She used to talk about how her, at night her fingers would be bleeding from picking cotton out of the, out of the, out of the balls. Everybody in the, everybody in the family had to do it for them to exist. The family eventually moved to Americus, the county's largest city where Story's parents found better work. He enrolled in high school, but soon set his sights on joining the military in the years following World War II. In 1948, his mother agreed to sign papers allowing Story to enlist in the Army. She listed his birth date as June 30, 1931, but Wade said later obtained copy of her uncle's birth certificate that showed he was born in 1932 which would have made him just 16 when he joined. Story uh -oh. left school during his sophomore year, and in the summer of 1950, he deployed Company A, 1st Battalion, 9th Infantry Regiment to Korea around the time of the war began. On September 1st, 1950, near the village of Agak on the Naktong River, Story's unit came under attack by three divisions of North Korean troops that moved to surround the Americans and cut off their escape. Story seized a machine gun and fired on enemy soldiers crossing the river, killing or wounding about 100, according to his Medal of Honor citation. At his company commander ordered to retreat, Story rushed into the road and threw grenades into the approaching truck, carrying North Korean troops and ammunition. Despite being wounded, he continued fighting. 
realizing that his wounds would hamper his comrades, he refused to retire to the next position, but remained to cover the company's withdrawal. When last seen, he was firing every weapon available and fighting off another hostile assault. Story was presumed dead. He would have been 18 years old, according to the birth certificate Wade obtained. In 1951, his father received Story's Medal of Honor at a Pentagon ceremony. Story was also posthumously promoted to corporal. So, rest in peace, your final resting place, American hero. Your and it turn. took this long. Right? Yeah. Yeah, identify him even. It had to remain since 1950. He's been dead since that freaking day for sure. Yeah, and the, yeah. you know somebody collected probably the North Korean troops where I collected his body and had his body, maybe even buried him. I don't know. Like, there's no story. There's no story on the actual like how the 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 body was re reobtained. I guess. If you think you don't like high school, at least you didn't join a freaking war to get out of it. To be honest, <laughs> to be honest, I don't, I don't think I'm the demographic at risk of that. Uh, well, I'm just saying anyone. We still else. live in a world that does not draft women, so. Anyone, not not you. I mean, anyone else. Oh, there. anyone out there? Oh, yeah. I knew specifically you, the general audience. You think you don't like high school? At least you didn't join somewhere to get killed on your 18th birthday, or basically near your 18th birthday. Yeah. Your turn. All right. Well, thank you for being such a hero. And uh... Luther. Luther. Yeah, sorry, I'm terrible at remembering names. Not a personal attack. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to cover something I talked about with you on Saturday when we weren't recording a show, and that is former Pink Floyd artist Roger Water rejects criticisms of Nazi uniforms. Former Pink Floyd bassist Roger Waters emphatically denies that he intended to incite hatred when he appeared on stage at a concert in Berlin wearing a costume that closely resembled a black leather Nazi uniform. He sees his performance, in which he also pointed a machine gun at the audience, as a clear stand against fascism. The artist writes this on Twitter, hours after the police in Berlin had announced that they were conducting an investigation. According to the police, Waters' uniform can be used to glorify or justify the Nazi regime, which is prohibited in Germany. The clothes look like clothes of an SS officer, a police spokesman said earlier. Footage shows Waters wearing a long leather uniform with a red Nazi-style armband for his performance at the Mercedes-Benz Arena. Where the Nazi bracelet had a swastika, Waters' bracelet featured two crossed hammers, symbolism that Pink Floyd used since the release of Pink Floyd's film The Wall in 1982. During the show, images were also shown with the names of Anne Frank and Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akhle, who was shot dead last year. It is precisely this combination of names that has gone down in a wrong way in Israel. Waters is a well-known supporter of a boycott against Israel. Okay, so, uh, the freaking, what are they called again? There's a lot. The, the people who run Israel are a specific sect of... Jews, but I can't remember what they're called right now. But they're angry. Net they're angry. Netanyahu's huh? fault. Netanyahu's folks. Yeah. Netanyahu, uh, the guy who runs the place. Israel. Yeah. 
It's real foreign ministry said on Twitter, good morning to everyone except Roger Waters, who used to the evening in Berlin, yes, Berlin, to desecrate the memory of Anne Frank and the six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. Okay, thanks for the cessationist <coughs> writing. The foreign ministry of a country? Hello? Get off Twitter. Water, <laughs> Walters doesn't... <laughs> Waters doesn't want to hear all the criticism of his appearance in Berlin last week. He believes his critics are acting in bad faith. Indeed they are. Wanting to silence him and Smear's name because they disagree with his political views. Indeed, that is what ha what's happening. It's Twitter. That's what you do on Twitter. You have the most bad faith argument possible in order to incite yeah. anger. Which is what I'm obviously in involving myself in. The fierce reaction to Waters' this is not a drill tour in Germany are nothing new. Frankfurt even tried to ban his show because he would be anti-Semitic on his previous tour by showing the inflatable pig with the star of David. But according to the judge, that was within Water Waters' artistic freedom. It is expected that there will be demonstrations tomorrow in Frankfurt at Waters' last German show on the tour. The artist therefore does not show himself to be a great fan of Germany, whose those in power he accuses of partly working on behalf of the Israel lobby when they accuse him of anti-Semitism. Well, I mean, I can understand that, right? Germany, who famously did a genocide, is trying all they can to never piss off any Jews ever, because as soon as they do, all of their credibility yeah. goes down the drain. So yeah, in a way, Germany does have to be a puppet for the Israel yeah. lobby. Otherwise... Suggest in any way that any Jew has ever done anything wrong. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, oh, you're just you're typical but, Germany. Typical Germany being anti-Semitist. You know, they can't criticize a single person. Uh, yeah, I won't. I won't get on Germany for their sensitivity to Nazism at all. I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. Uh, me too, Israel, as well. Israel's turned into a bunch of thugs since Netanyahu, Netanyahu's been in charge. That's a fact. So, yeah. Waters has also been under fire for some time because of his views on the on Ukraine. For example, he said in a speech at the United Nations that the Russian invasion had been provoked and wrote an open letter to President Zelensky's wife, Olena Lizinska, warning of Ukraine's extreme nationalists who had put the country on a path towards a disastrous war. His performance were subsequently cancelled in Poland. All of the commotion surrounding Waters, his views, and his performance does not lead to much commotion in the Netherlands. Israel Information and Documentation Center, SCIDI, has asked concert goers organizer Mojo to keep a close eye on the concerts, but did not call for a boycott. The director, Naomi Mestrom, called him a disgusting man who shouts really insane things about Jews and about Israel. Okay, we get it. Very black and white view on one person's political views there. I write about him being insane, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, the the it's things that he's created, right, are pretty out of the world performances, and indeed, um, when it comes to the Ukraine problem, I see where he's coming from. He's talking about how there's actually Nazis in Ukraine just hanging out, being Nazis, you know, and. As a person who's against nationalism, I can understand his warning about extreme nationalists because nationalism, while a useful tool, is quite dangerous as it gets into the extreme radical levels where suddenly you're like, anyone who's not Ukrainian should die. So I, he's... It, it doesn't bit, matter, right? He's a bit uh, what I would consider bordering on conspiracy theory, right? Uh, this is all, you know, a big... And a lot of yeah. people don't like when you say something like there's a global 
person in power forcing these things to happen. You know, that's kind of where you lose a lot of your, your credibility as anybody if you start saying there's you know, the Illuminati's real or something. Once you start yeah. doing that, no one cares what you have to say anymore. Telling <laughs> people that the moon landing was fake, next to, next to Earth is flat, yeah. right? And then JFK Jr. is going to come to life and be president. And LQAnon has captured a lot of minds. <sighs> All right, is that it? Or... Oh, okay. All right, so this day in history, and coincidentally, since Turkey had elections uh, yesterday, with Turkey elections going on, in 1453, Constantinople and the Byzantine Empire fell to the Ottomans. So, what was that? Uh, 683 years ago? 680 yeah. years ago? Not 80, 70. Jeez, I'm terrible at math. 570 years ago. There you go. <laughs> 570 years ago, and to the day, is when the Ottoman Empire finally toppled the Byzantine Empire, which, if you don't remember, was also known as the Holy Roman Emperor, right? Was that, or was that the... Uh, is it the Holy Roman Empire? I believe or the Holy the... Roman Empire was a totally different beast. The Byzantine Empire was the last vestige Easter. of Rome. They, they, at that point, Rome they had moved the capital of Rome to Constantinople, and they that was, and then that part of Italy completely fell into disarray. No. Got that wrong. The Holy Roman Empire was basically Germany. Okay? Yeah. All right. <laughs> In 1658, the Battle of Samarg was fought in the contest of, in the contest for the throne between the sons of Mughal and Emperor Saha, Shah Jahan following the Emperor's serious illness in September 1657. Long time ago, so he has not gotten well. In 1736, Order Patrick Henry was born. He's the one that said, give me liberty or give me death. In 1848, Wisconsin became a state. So wow. happy birthday, Wisconsin became the 30th state of the union. It take that long, huh? 1848. So eat some cheese, drink some beer, go to a Brewers game. 1860, composer and virtuoso pianist Isaac Ibanez was born in Camperdon, Spain. I pronounced that wrong. 1905, the Russian Navy was defeated in the Battle of Tsushima during the Russo-Japanese War. You didn't know they fought, did you? They did. 1942, American singer and actor Bing Crosby recorded the holiday class with classic White Christmas, which became one of the best-selling singles of all time. In 1999, Discovery became the first space shuttle to dock with the International Space Station. Before that, they would just send it up there and bring it back and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> Float around the Earth a few hundred wow, times. Wow, we did it. We survived in space. Come back down now, please. And, and see if they could land the thing. Well, it was important enough they could land it and return it to space, which ah, worked every time until two. But, I mean, no one's perfect. Yeah. They were used it a lot, uh, even the ones that crashed, I think. In 2017, Panamanian military leader Manuel Noriega died at the age of 83 in Panama City. And whose day is whose birthday is it today it's jfk's birthday oh yes jf kennedy was born in 1917. mount everest summit reached by sir edmund hillary 
who probably wasn't a sir then, and Tenzig Norgay, who is a Sherpa guide in 1953. Sherpa guide probably went up there 50 times to check it out first <laughs> for the guy, right? <laughs> Maybe. Only got credit for it once, right? Yeah. He probably said, who wants to go in the top and for what reason? That's probably yeah. what he said. Yeah. All right, I'll do it. What the fuck? Extra 50 bucks. I'm sorry, 50 pounds sterling. Also birthdays today, Carmelo Anthony, American baseball player. Bob Hope was born in this day in 1903. G.K. Chris Chesterson, British author, was born in 1874, and we already covered Patrick Henry. And what day is it today? It's Memorial Day. We already know that. It's also National Day of UN Peacekeepers. Also, National 529 Day. I have no idea what that is. It must be an area code. I don't know. I have to look up what area five. It says National 529 Day. It's got a picture of a pig. Got it. It's National Paperclip Day. Somebody went to the trouble of creating National Paperclip Day. It's also National C-O-Q Vin Day. Cockov. It's some kind of chicken dish, it looks like. Some kind of chicken dish pronounced in France day. <laughs> that is it, thankfully. <laughs> C-O-Q-A-U-V-I-N day. Cocovan. Cocovan? Cocovan. That's how you spell Cocovan. There you go. It's National Cocovan Day. It's a chicken dish with lots of looks really spicy. That's the day. Wow. So much, that, that was a shorter one than usual, I think. Uh, Considering it's a Monday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I This has been Allison uh, doing typical video production mistakes on our, <laughs> our new show. And we will see you tomorrow for some no more news about how far the far right is slowly taking over Europe. <laughs> and as always, our stories are non-AI generated. We are real people. Even though we may seem computerized digital images, I am reasonably sure I'm real. And this is Roger signing out for the United States of May 29th, 2023 version of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons. Follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records. <laughs>